0: Welcome to Review the Future, the podcast that takes an in-depth look at the impact of technology on culture. I'm Ted Cooper. I'm John Perry. And today we're asking the question, how plausible is dystopia? So most of the science
1: fiction stories that I see, particularly movies, present dystopias. They present dark, bleak visions of the future and as we're asking the question, is this realistic? I'm going to make a distinction right away between a dystopia, which is a vision of a persistent, unchanging, stable, and bad future, as opposed to, say, a one-time disaster or war.
0: Right. No, that makes sense. Because uh, obviously a terrible event like a war or an alien invasion uh, would create uh, a different world. But uh, what we're talking about is this this whole class of science fiction stories that, that just seem to take place in a dark future that's uh, that's much worse than today's world. And we want to ask the question, is that really plausible? If you look back on human history, uh, you don't find that there are these persistent periods uh, where things get a lot worse. The classic example that somebody would probably bring up is the, the Dark Ages in Europe. Uh, but even that example... It was really mostly a Western phenomenon. The Dark Ages didn't happen in China in that time. They were inventing paper and fireworks, and they weren't having plagues. And even in the worst, hardest-hit parts of Europe, uh, where they lost, uh, whatever, a third of their population in, in a very short time or whatever it was, all, all through that time, even though there was no central authority and there was no running water in a lot of places, uh, little you know, distributed groups of monks and what have you were able to save much of western knowledge
1: yeah i think the dark ages are really the the main analogy that is Used for our first type of dystopia. We're going to talk about four types of dystopia. So the first one is the post-apocalypse.
0: That's the one that's most like the Dark Ages, where a plague rips through the land and a big empire falls, and all of a sudden, uh, everything that used to be very well organized is not well organized. We slip backwards. We slip backwards in in our civilization. And again, the Dark Ages is
1: often seen as a slip backwards. You know, at least for people from the West, because you know we had the Greeks and the Romans, and we had you know a certain height of technology. That we achieved in the Roman Empire, Though, again, whether that actually is a slip backward for the world is very arguable, but that seems to be the analogy behind these movies, like say uh Road Warrior uh, that imagine us uh, slipping back to a almost a simpler uh, set of right like rules. a
0: almost like a prehistoric uh world it It almost seems like this kind of dystopia with the the post apocalyptic dystopia is one that's uh that's more about our human past than it is about any possible future. And maybe that's like a metaphoric thing that the authors are all doing on purpose. But uh, I think from a speculative point of view, it's just not very useful because knowledge at this point is just far too distributed to be lost um, like that. The more realistic uh, situation at this point is that either uh, we continue to move forward and even if we have some kind of a disaster, it's basically a temporary setback or we go extinct. We have such a big disaster enabled by such powerful technology that there's no surviving it.
1: Yeah, I mean, we're way past the point that, you know, the Library of Alexandria can burn down and we can lose uh, tons of important knowledge.
0: Yeah, it gets set back a thousand years. I mean, knowledge
1: is on so many hard drives and just even just printed out in so many forms that, you know, even a a nuclear disaster, I mean, there's just so many people. I mean, we would be able to, I'm not saying it wouldn't take work to rebuild, I'm just saying that. That would not be a stable equilibrium point that you could set a lot of stories in. I think we might have a setback, but again, I think we would quickly return to the path that we were on. That's assuming, of course, that it isn't bad enough to completely destroy us, which is certainly a possibility.
0: Right, right. So occasionally you get a story about like the last few humans. I know there are a couple of Philip K. Dick short stories like this. The last few humans like clinging to life on a destroyed planet. And those stories I find plausible. That's not really... Uh, what we're but talking they're not about gonna here, make it. They're not gonna make it. These are like these are just very dark stories about maybe they're holding out hope of being saved uh somehow, but basically they're they're not gonna make it. Uh certainly they're not going to come back and repopulate Earth and become some sort of like primitive tribe of humans that's returned to its naturalistic roots. Uh like you see in Cloud Atlas, uh in the in the last section of that movie, or um, uh, in Zardoz or in a lot of other movies uh, that are out. And the authors are
1: just kind of pushing the reset button and saying, you know, let's go back to the Middle Ages just because right, that makes a good or story. Or to Caveman
0: Times or whatever, to, yeah. some, to some earlier technological moment. Right, because then obviously it's easy to tell a story in that time period, but I think as a speculative thing... Uh, that's not terribly useful.
1: Yeah, so that was post-apocalypse. And the second type of uh, dystopia that I see a lot in stories and movies is what I'm calling the AI or alien oppression scenario. This is where either you know runaway robots take over or an alien comes down from outer space and takes over. So right. the so AI there's... example, the most recent one that everybody's very familiar with is The Matrix.
0: Sure, The Matrix is an obvious example of that. Uh, uh, Terminator is also an example of that. Sure. Um, and uh, and for the alien oppression one, there's tons of examples of that. Uh, Dark City is one of those. Uh, the recent Tom Cruise movie, Oblivion, is a really terrible movie that uh, features alien oppression as its main villainous force.
1: And the historical analogy here would be, I suppose, Westerners coming to the new world. Oh, with, uh, vast- I-, I think it's Nazis.
0: I'm pretty sure that... This is Nazi. Well, that's right? maybe
1: the one that they're using, but I think the one that's more accurate uh, would be one uh, technologically advanced civilization coming up against a less technologically advanced one. And and one historical example of that would be, say, Westerners coming to the New World, and we know how that ended. It ended with the right the with near genocide, complete and, end of the right. Native and that's peoples. honestly
0: what uh, that's what the Nazis were trying to do too. Their their opponents right. were too technologically well equipped for them to succeed. But uh, but Nazis in Poland is pretty much the same thing as. Um, Americans in the Wild West, and it's very much the same as, uh, you know, Star Men in in Now Wait for Last Year, or uh, any number of examples of these kind of um, oppressive alien or AI. Beings. And the thing about this is, um, if you're taking seriously the idea that these are, you know, superhuman AIs or that they're aliens who are so advanced that they can come all the way across the galaxy and and land on our planet, then I think it's pretty hard to imagine that this wouldn't be an extremely asymmetrical fight. There's not going to be a human resistance. We're
1: not going to have a chance to fight back. And they're not, if they don't like us, if they're hostile, they're not going to keep us around. They're not going to need us anything the way that uh, the Matrix robots need us as batteries.
0: That's the dumbest thing in The Matrix. The Matrix has got a lot of good parts about it, I think, uh, at least that first movie. But the the battery thing makes no sense because obviously we're a net drain. We're not going to be useful as a store of energy. They would just repurpose our atoms as actual batteries and uh, to hell with our consciousnesses. There's just no way that uh, there'd be a chance for a a human uh, group to fight back against these oppressive beings that are so much more powerful than us.
1: So the first type of dystopia, post-apocalypse, we don't really accept because we don't think a slip backwards is possible given all the distributed knowledge. The second type of dystopia, an alien or AI oppression, doesn't seem plausible because it'd just be too asymmetrical if you actually take the premise seriously and the third type of dystopia, which I think on the surface does seem at least more plausible than the last two, but I also have issues with, yeah. is what we're going to call the the boot in the face dystopia, right. which is taking its name f- directly from George Orwell.
0: George Orwell, who I think invented this genre with his classic book, 1984. And uh, you see this kind of dystopia all the time. The most famous recent example is the Hunger Games, uh, but Battle Royale is like this. And uh, a Fahrenheit 451 is another one. Boot in the face. uh dystopias.
1: We should define this. This is and, like the oppressors are humans, yeah, and they're using violence...
0: Uh, surveillance and violence and fear are essentially the tools of, of these uh, oppressors, and they're very much based on exaggerations of what went on in Soviet Russia and in Nazi Germany. This and if stuff, you want
1: to talk about analogies in the past, I mean, with the acceptance of the surveillance technology, but uh, which didn't exist in the past, uh, there's numerous examples. I mean, this is what we have seen throughout well, you know, history, is the elites you know, oppressing... Uh, the lower classes through violence and oppression, which is why I think this is a more plausible story on the surface. Right,
0: and in Soviet Russia, they did actually employ the technology available at the time for surveillance. Sure. Uh, in very much this way, they they bugged people's houses and, and logged everything they said and, and then brought that against them. And I'm them. sure
1: even the Catholic Church had methods for tracking the heretics that they wanted Absolutely. to persecute.
0: Absolutely, holes in doors and, you know, I mean, surveillance has been going on for a long Pain time. People it people for hasn't information been, on the street. Uh, hasn't been as good as it is now. And I think, you know, it is plausible that you can set up a situation like this. And I think even in our world, we have a very small part of our world that is a boot in the face dystopia. It's called North Korea. And it's obviously very difficult and requires unique situation and and sustained effort to create and maintain a place like that. But it is possible in our world. We have one. Right. But the question is, is
1: this the realistic prediction looking forward with more advanced technology? Again, in Hunger Games, they have uh, genetic engineering. They have uh, incredible seemingly nanotechnology that control these arenas. Yeah. Uh, they have vastly superior technology to today. Yeah. So in a future will this be the best way for no, the No, that's elites where this completely breaks down for me
0: because in in that world if elites are that powerful then it's just trivially easy for them to either take care of all of us or if they are really just not into Having these oppressed people around, uh, it'd be trivially easy for them to kill all of them and just automate away any reason that there might have been in the past to keep them around. Like, th- there's no point with that kind of advanced technology and having an, a giant idle worker class. Yeah, why would they keep um, us?
1: Well, no, it's not necessarily an idle worker class in some of these. Like, so Hunger Games has these different districts that are oppressed. They serve the capital. They do different oh, things. Right, so, right, like, right. like one of them right, is they're, a they're mining separate, right. community so the assumption is that the elites need them for their labor, which again, this is historically
0: true. Right. But in a future, it's not with, plausible in a future with nanotech and genetic engineering that makes like you know jaguar men and like. <laughs> right. I mean, I guess you could plausibly uh, imagine a future in which that technology exists, but it's so bleeding expensive that right that they can only use it for the big game to impress the humans. Yeah, so it's somehow cheaper to oppress all these humans (laughs) than to uh, use the nanotechnology to serve their needs. That seems like a stretch. I'm reaching for that one. I
1: mean, we're talking about a technological asymmetry that's, you know, not that unlike the previous scenario we were talking about, where, you know, the elites have all of the technology. And again, that technology is going to either allow them to just kill us all and then automate their needs so that they wouldn't have needed us in the first place. Right or uh, they're just going to feed us all because at least that way we won't whine.
0: Yeah, it would be trivially easy to
1: just keep us relatively happy. For them to keep us around and tortured means they'd have to have some kind of like deep and abiding sadism that they just like, they just needed to torture us for all eternity.
0: Yeah, for their own uh, edification and, and that's I think uh, a really cynical view of human nature. There's some evidence in the world like the power structure in North Korea for example that that might be something that uh, exists in enough people. But I don't I- think sadism but,
1: is what motivates north korea do you i mean it might uh, it's but- got to
0: be a part of what keeps things going there because the the conditions are so cruel part of it has to be uh that some of the people at, at the top get off to some extent on the suffering that they're inflicting uh otherwise you you just couldn't have so much time of so much sustained suffering i think there are other things obviously at play and i doubt that's the most important factor but I, what i don't think the boot in the face is is really useful to predict is what will happen to the world In 1984, uh, the entire world is stuck under a boot-in-the-face dictatorship. The three main landmasses or whatever are all ruled by the same organization or by uh, something that's nearly the same. And that seems completely impossible to me and, and very inefficient.
1: Aldous Huxley actually had a... Aldous Huxley of Brave New World fame, the author of Brave New World, had a uh, kind of a funny criticism that he leveled against 1984 and this entire idea of a boot-in-the-face dystopia. And he actually wrote a uh, letter to George Orwell directly. And uh, you can find this letter online, so I'm not going to read the whole thing, but I'm just going to read a short quote from it, which is Aldous Huxley says, The philosophy of the ruling minority in 1984 is a sadism which has been carried to its logical conclusion... Whether in actual fact the policy of the boot on the face can go on indefinitely seems doubtful. My own belief is that the ruling oligarchy will find less arduous and wasteful ways of governing and of satisfying its lust for power, and these ways will resemble those which I described in Brave New World. So he kind of toots his own horn at the end, but I think his point that it's more efficient actually to kind of meet people's needs is something that I agree with. And that, that does lead to our next type right. of dystopia. This, this
0: leads to the next thing we want to talk about, which is uh, type four, uh, the brave new world. And obviously the best yeah. example of this is Aldous Huxley's classic book, brave new world. And we generally think Huxley was more right than Orwell in predicting the methods of oppression That at least in the Western world, we've found that pleasure and uh, suggestion and advertising and distraction have been much more successful at pacifying people than uh, boot in the face techniques, uh, which um, work for a time and then people get upset and they rebel. And then you see that in the Arab world, you see it all over the place. And
1: in Brave New World, that takes the form of eugenics and hypnotism and uh, happiness providing drugs mm-hmm. and other methods, technological, that I am i don't see why we wouldn't develop them. And again, it seems like it's just going to be a lot easier to just keep the masses happy, but not give them any control.
0: Right, um, right. What I think is very believable about uh, the Brave New World dystopia is that the technology actually works. The people do feel happy. They are raised in such a way that they don't feel uh, unhappy with their station. But they have no mobility or agency, really. Their uh, whole existence is sort of plotted out for them by the ruling elite.
1: To me, this is the most plausible future. I mean, this is where I see things headed. I mean, if just you know, if you go back to some of our recent podcasts, like the one where we reviewed uh, Tyler Cowen's book "Averages Over," that's talking about the growing inequality and in the the top fifteen percent. Right. You know, you can imagine that the top fifteen percent they may just keep us happy by you know using. Robots to provide us our health care and giving us public housing and giving us free internet with tons of entertainment options. And, you know, maybe we don't have any say in our world. We don't have any actual control politically, but, you know, we're all happy enough. You know, we're doing well enough that we're not going to rebel.
0: Sure. I mean, you can imagine the Gates Foundation, which is, you know, trying to eradicate malaria right now, decides 25 or 30 or 100 years in the future, it's going to also eradicate starvation and then it's going to eradicate homelessness. And they just go into places, buy up a bunch of land, you know, make a bunch of places for people to live and solve these problems in a way that is very top down and is very much, you know, not a democratic process, not a process in which people have have agency, but uh, it benefits them and you're better off than they would have been without it. Basically giving us everything but agency. (laughs) Right. And actually, that's sort of a that leads us into maybe another question, right, that we want to talk about is uh, in these type four Uh, Brave New World dystopias. In the the
1: dystopia of a Brave New World, it's worth asking, is it actually a dystopia? How bad are these worlds? If you are like a strict utilitarian uh, ethicist that's trying to maximize personal happiness, right? then uh, one of these dystopias that gives everybody happy pills or something... Even maybe they have no agency, maybe they even have no emotions to speak of aside from complete bliss. For the sake of argument, you could say that that is actually not such a bad place if that you're that type of utilitarian because the actual experience of the individuals in that dystopia is much more like a utopia. I mean, they're blissed out all day. Maybe they're working and doing jobs, but they're jobs that they were eugenically bred for and hypnotically trained for as right, a brand right. new world.
0: And this kind of relates to uh, like that Robin Hansen idea about the emulated brains that have been selected for like you know really enjoying work, and then they get replicated all over the place and sure. you get you know start to do a ton of work. But is that even oppression? They they enjoy it. We selected the ones who enjoy. If it a on slave purpose.
1: likes being a slave, is it wrong to have the slave working for you? And of course. You know, a lot of people have a very different vision of ethics. So I'm just saying, if you're a strict like utilitarian, right? In and this I think the second way- you
0: use the word slave, I get like really uncomfortable because right. that carries with it all kinds of horrible connotations of violence and kidnapping and and mistreatment. But it's not necessarily slavery if uh, if it's just voluntary and uh, people are, let's say, bred for their position. And then it's just not really conceivable to them through their education and their experience in the world that they would have some other position open anyway. uh, So they're not unhappy. And then they're given the opportunity to work uh, within this um, world. Now, obviously, that's assuming that we can do eugenics and make them work and that the happy pills work and everything else. But assuming that the technology works, uh, that doesn't actually sound like such a bad world. Although you could imagine, if you did have a, some a discontent in that world, somebody who, for whatever reason, the happy pills did not work, or for whatever reason, and that, these are
1: often the heroes of these stories, right?
0: You could imagine that person being very frustrated because they can't easily change their station. And you might argue that you know a more perfect world might have happy pills available, but might uh, skimp on the uh, the social rigidity uh, somewhat. You know, if you had more mobility and more ability to change your station, then you could have perhaps an even better world than the one. Uh, in Which you have happy pills, but you don't have mobility.
1: Well, and again, I think looking forward, you would be able to take those uh, dissidents, (laughs) for lack of a better reason, or people, the malcontents, maybe is a better term. Yeah, Yeah, discontent, yeah. yeah. These people, and uh, you know, if you again had these truly futuristic technologies, I mean, you wouldn't even have to punish that person. You could just put them in sort of some sort of virtual reality space where they could live out their free expression and sort of not bother anybody else if you needed to. Sure. Um, But, you know, that's all contained within this sort of type four dystopia, the, the brave new world. That, you know, it deals with problems by using pleasure as its weapon of choice rather than pain.
0: Right. And that, at the end of the day, just sounds a lot more plausible to me and also tracks a lot more with what I see going on in the world itself. And most of the world, I think, is organized uh, around this idea that the powerful people uh, use persuasion and pleasure to pacify the less powerful whether you call that advertising or alcohol or movies or whatever, that's, uh, those are the things that are used. Um, those are the
1: things that keep me from rebelling.
0: Certainly, yeah, I think that's <laughs> those accurate. Those three things, exactly. Those three things and the fact that I have a roof over my head and you know access to food and all of that are, right. are absolutely the, the things that keep me from, from planning a, a bloody revolution uh, when I wake up. If you took morning. away
1: my alcohol and my movies, I would, I would fight back.
0: I yeah I it would, I think everybody would. I think we all would I think in America we, we would did get very we tried upset. to prohibit alcohol and that that did not back. Yeah. that did not go well and um, you know various attempts to limit the supply of movies have been circumvented with great skill and speed so I can only imagine what would happen if they succeed in actually taking them away so uh, yeah I think at the end of the day Huxley was right and Orwell was wrong at least about the wider world and maybe. Um, Maybe not about North Korea. They might be the one exception where, where Orwell was a bit more right. But, um, you know, we'll see how long they can sustain that over there. It's uh, remarkable to me that it's lasted as long as it has. But I think, again, there's a lot of complex geopolitical reasons why that's the case. You know, if you're looking at the
1: world as a whole, they don't have a lot of landmass on their no. side. Percentage-wise, <laughs> Percentage-wise the wise in the face uh, method is not uh, ruling the planet.
0: No, no, I think uh, not, not, a, not even close. And they don't seem to have any hope of doing that in the future. Uh, whereas the uh, more brave new world type world that we live in in the West seems pretty likely to uh, and seems to be spreading, maintain spreading you know, a, or spread for the most part. Yeah. to yeah. so, to the extent that it can. I don't think democracy is spreading but I think uh, pacifying the masses is spreading pacifying the masses through uh, yeah through uh, a sort of illusion of choice and uh, and pleasure. Uh, <laughs> seems very much to be and on consumer, the rise cheap
1: consumer goods
0: right I mean you know that's certainly part, part and parcel of what's been going on in China for example uh, where they <laughs> don't have what I'd call capitalism but they do have some semblance of a market economy now and I think they're they're easing off the Orwell and, and really pouring on the Huxley these days <laughs>
1: Okay. So that's a good place to wrap up. Uh, We gave again, four dystopias just to summarize. It was the post-apocalypse, the alien eye or alien oppression, the boot in the face and the brave new world. There's probably others that you've seen in movies that we might've forgot. So let us know if we forgot one, but we give the first three a pretty low rating of plausibility and the last one pretty high.
0: Were we going to talk at all about the podcast or?
1: Oh yeah. So this is episode 12 of the podcast. Thanks for listening, by the way. We've kept going for 13 weeks. We've almost had one every week. We missed one, but, uh, we're going to keep going and we want to do new things with it. We want to start having guests on at a certain point. And so I'm still
0: working out the technology to make that happen. We want the guests to sound as good as we do here in the, uh, auditory research lab. So I'm going to hopefully have that working soon and we'll, uh, get into booking some guests for the show.
1: But in the meantime, if you've been listening, let us know with an email or a comment and uh, rate us on iTunes if you can.
0: Yeah, it would take only a couple seconds. It'd mean a lot to us. Uh, we just don't have enough ratings to, to show up with a rating yet. So even if you're not going <laughs> to give us a good rating, give us some kind of rating. Yeah, bring us out of the iTunes ghetto and allow
1: us to actually have a score, even if it's a low score. I right, think some I'd score. rather <laughs> a low score
0: than no score at this point. Well, thanks for listening and uh, we'll be uh, coming back Catch you with uh, more podcasts, soon. To subscribe or leave a comment on this episode, please visit reviewthefuture.com. You can also send emails to feedback at reviewthefuture.com. Thanks for listening.